What's your relationship with fear? My guest on the Reset Podcast today made his name as a big wave surfer, tackling the biggest waves all over the planet. He now speaks in front of thousands of people and his talks about fear, how to conquer it in life and in business have been inspirational to many. During the chat today, he'll have a talk about the importance of a team, how much you need preparation to reach your goals. Mark will give us some great insights into the joys of overcoming the obstacles in your life and embracing fear. Welcome to the Reset Podcast, Mark Matthews. All right, Mark Matthews, is it good being you? I think so. I think it's awesome being me. I love it. I mean, I have ups and downs like every person does. I think that's the general human condition. But uh, overall, I'm, I'm absolutely uh, stoked with where my life's at and, and where it looks like it's headed. I love it. Yeah, it's always nice to know that the, the future is just as exciting as, your, as the past. And, and let's face it, you've had a pretty exciting past, which I, I'd love to have a bit of a chat about that today because you know, when we talk about resets, there's not too many people that have had to do as many resets as you do, both in terms of what you're doing and almost identity resets. You've had to, to very much change your identity to, to do the different parts of your life. Can you, can you take me through a couple of those? Yeah, I think, I mean, just you, you learn so much from the mistakes that you make and the mistakes for me become really apparent uh, when they result in an injury. Because in big wave surfing, it's a dangerous sport. You can take a lot of the danger out of it if you're prepared well enough. But for me, when whenever I ended up getting severely injured, it was always because the, something was off with the preparation that I was doing. And um, to, and that's why I became obsessed with the preparation to do things that are scary and then all the psychology that goes into how you manage the stress and the anxiety so that you do prepare well so you can perform at your best in the scary environment. And um, and then I guess that as my career progressed, there's, it, it, it naturally, like, athlete careers always come to an end. Like, you eventually... And that's nature. Do you feel like yours has ended yet? Um, I don't know yet for sure. Like I mean, it's a I, tough one, isn't it, with your leg and yeah. and all of that stuff? I got yeah. So I seriously injured my leg three years ago. Now I've got permanent nerve damage and I can't use my foot properly. So my sort of surfing capacity three years after the injuries is still only at about sixty percent of what it was before I got injured, and it. it like my, my surfing ability keeps getting better, but the injury doesn't get any better. Like I'm stuck with a foot that doesn't work, an ankle joint that has no stability, but I'm slowly learning to, to cope with that and surf better and better. But um, I mean, I'm at the point in my life where so many things have changed in my life that uh, I've kind of got a, a new career to make money from, which is, is speaking. I've got He's very good at it too, by the way. If anyone gets a chance to hear Mark speak, um, he speaks about fear and how to deal with it, both in terms of catching big waves and in, in a corporate setting. And it, it's a really inspiring, really entertaining talk. You, um, yeah, it's congratulations on it because you, you do it very, very well. Yeah, cheers. And, and I, I mean, as I was saying, I've got way more responsibility in my life now in that I've got a 10-month-old daughter. And for me, that was the biggest changing factor in in my psychology 
around taking risks and surfing big waves. It's like it was fine originally if I was the one getting hurt and uh, and injured, and I would take that risk, you know, individually. But now that I've got someone whose livelihood depends on me being able to provide for them, then for me taking the same level of risk that I took when I was younger is um, is a bit selfish. You know, so I've, I've, I've got to manage the amount of risk I take and whether I can still be as successful in big wave surfing without taking the risk that I used to take when I was young, if there's a way to do that, that's what I'm going to find out. So yeah, it, it'll be interesting over the next the next couple of years if, if that's manageable or possible. And, I mean, I'm still constantly trying to uh, convince my wife that I can do it without taking so much risk. And that I won't get any more serious injury, but uh, it's pretty tough. When she's been there for two really serious injuries back to back, she's kind of thinks that I can't do it without that high level of risk. So it's a it's a tough one to win her over. So, that's what I'm going to do. Take us through those those, those two injuries because yeah, you'd won. You didn't win three big wave of the year awards in a row really early in your career. Yeah, I had an amazing like period in my career where I had about seven years of no bad injuries. And um, I mean, I was wiping out on some of the biggest waves in the world and, and they weren't hurting me. And then I was kind of getting to the point where I was like, I'm surfing the biggest waves in the world and I'm not getting injured. And it's like, I was just eventually there's like nothing in the ocean can really hurt me. And I just kind of became complacent over that period of time. And I got a lot of success in that time pushing the limits where I won three Oakley Big Wave Awards and then that led to like lots of major sponsorships with, with Red Bull and other big companies, which was awesome. But the complacency creeps in and mistakes were made in the preparation for me where I let myself get run down, too tired, too stressed, and then my performance in the water slowly started to suffer. And then the the, the sort of probably the, the start in the, the, the downward progression, I don't know downward progression, but the radical change in my career happened in Jaws when I went out to surf there. And um, in my head, I wanted to get the biggest wave of the session, put my name on the, you know, like out there so that I might get selected in the Eddie Cal event, like a dream that I, I wanted to do my entire life. And I went out there. Yeah, we can't we can't just brush over you and the Eddie either because that, yeah. that that's a really – the Eddie Cow, for anyone that doesn't know, is a, is a big wave event that you have to be invited to and they'll only run if it gets above about 30 feet. Is that right? Yeah, is that right? Sort of a minimum 20 foot, which is 40 foot faces of the wave. So it's huge yeah. and it's the most prestigious event in, in surfing and it's uh, an event that's based on like a legendary Hawaiian lifeguard that... Uh, lost his life in an attempt to rescue all his friends who were stuck out on a on a capsized boat miles out in the ocean off Hawaii and he tried to paddle to shore so that he could rescue everyone and then he was never found. And so the event is in his honour. Such, so it's such a legendary event. It's only run, I think, I think it's nine times in the last 30 years that it's been running because you need such big uh, surf conditions for it to actually warrant holding the event. So it's very rare that it's run, but then it's also an invitation-only event. So you have to be invited by the ICAO family to compete. So, and they only select a handful of international surfers to go and compete 
against the, the, the best local big wave chargers that live in Hawaii. So it's a tough one to get into. And it was just my dream ever since I was a kid. For whatever reason, something drew me to that legend of the PIKL. And I just figured that winning that event is the pinnacle in the career of professional big wave surfing. So, I mean, my whole path from 20, when I was 20, 21 years old was to win that event. And I directed my life around trying to win that event. And uh, I don't know, 20 years later, <laughs> I've never even surfed in the event, <laughs> let alone won it. So for me, you've been, you've been invited. Little, yeah, that might sound a little depressing, but the reality is just chasing that dream and that goal of winning the event forced me to do things in my life that then resulted in me having a phenomenally successful surfing career that's now led into a, a public speaking career that I'm, I, I make a living off. So it's while I could be depressed about not getting to surf in the eddy or winning it, it's like if I didn't have that dream and chase it, I wouldn't have all these other amazing things in my life. So I'm still thankful that that was the goal that I set. But it was more than just a goal. We, we all have goals. You want to, you know, make a certain amount of money. You want to do certain things. But that was... It was almost like a North Star for you, wasn't it? Where everything kind of fed into that. Can you can you take us through your, your thought process with that? Because I think whether you have something like an Eddie to look forward to or, or that you really are aspiring to, that your way of putting this when you talk in your keynotes is that it, the Eddie became such a pivotal thing that you had to work out what what structures you had to build under it to get to that Eddie. Yeah, I mean, and, and that I think is just the value of having a really important goal in your life and one that's meaningful to you, that's going to keep you on a positive path in your life. And to me, that was winning the Eddie. And uh, I didn't know it at the time. I just wanted to win the Eddie for the accolades of the career, you know. But I think maybe deep down inside me when I was a kid, I, I really aspired to have the respect that Eddie Icow had amongst his peers. You know, he, he was so unbelievably respected for being brave and courageous and and for for being so generous, you know, with what he did for a living to rescue people as a lifeguard, you know. So I think deep down that's actually what I was chasing. But then so for me having that that goal in place or that that like you call it a, a sort of North Star, a guiding uh, a moment that I could visualise, that then sets a whole series of guiding principles that I then live my life by. And luckily for me that they were all super positive for me because they then helped me frame all the decisions that I'm going to make throughout my life, the tough decisions, you know, the decisions around what I need to sacrifice to get there. And it stopped me from partying too much when I was a kid. It stopped me from drinking too much. It kept me healthy, always wanting to stay in, you know, peak physical shape. It made me driven to, to create a career out of surfing because that was the only way I was going to be able to pay to get the exposure in big waves that then I might get selected in the eddy. So it's like for, forced me to then build a career out of the sport. And then down the track, it forced me into the avenue of, of public speaking. And I kind of, I learned everything about dealing with fear in the ocean and in big waves. But then I was able to use that same framework and set of tools that I learned in the ocean 
in, in the public speaking world. So in a completely foreign environment, but this, the exact same frameworks and theories and tools work in that environment. So I just, uh, to me, like for, for, especially for kids, it's like, or, and just for anyone, having that thing that you're chasing that allows you to make the tough decisions to do the right thing and keep you on the right path so that you're not sort of swallowed up by your vices, you know, like the short-term pleasures. Going out and getting on the cans, you know, that's sort of thing, that wasn't going to get you any closer to the eddy, so you didn't do no, it as I, often. No, as don't you. get me wrong, I'm no saint. I do all of those. <laughs> what helped manage the amount that I did them, you know, like, and and I think that's the important thing because if you don't have that thing that you're chasing or, or something that's forcing you to to do the right thing, and and when you get older, that's your family, your kids. You know? I mean. You're a pro, you become a provider, so that's what forces you to stay on track, you know. But if you don't have those things, then it's just you, you will be swallowed up by the vices because they're too enticing, that, that extreme pleasure that you can have without having to make any sacrifice that you get from all the different types of drugs that you get from consuming nonstop content, social media, and all that stuff. Like it's, it's so addictive that if you don't have that sort of, that guiding principle or North Star or goal that allows you to make sacrifice in the present moment to attain something in the future, like a better reality in the future, then, yeah, you get swallowed. And that's why I'm so thankful, even though it seems disappointing that I, I haven't won the Eddie or surfed in the Eddie, it's like, to me, it, didn't, it doesn't matter. The fact that that event was created and it was so enticing for me as a kid was like a life-changing thing for me. Yeah, that, that's really because be thankful that, that Eddie existed and that his family created such a, an amazing uh, event that's so inspiring to, to people and kids around the world. Because you know, one of the first, as as someone that follows surfing a bit, but also just in the mainstream, the first time we ever really heard of Mark Matthews was either the first time we surfed at Shipstones. And I'd love you to take me through that. And also in the Bra Boys movie, which if anyone's seen that, is, um, there's some pretty wicked scenes of that with you, big big cuts up your face and all of that sort of stuff from the, the lifestyle you live back in Maroubra with the boys. And So, yeah, can you take us through a little bit of that and particularly with how important those boys were in your life at the time because it was a real safety of a tribe thing with them, wasn't it? Yeah, I think all people go through that when they hit a certain age, whether it's around 14, 15, 16, and then into their early 20s where you kind of leave the safety of your family, you go into the big bad world and and the value of having close friendships as you go through that period or a close tribe is really can be super beneficial uh, to, to make your way through the tough times. But it's super beneficial if, if the tribe around you is a positive influence, and but it can be crazy negative if they're not a positive benefit. And and in Maroubra, you had both of that. And mm. uh, for me, the majority was overwhelmingly positive, and, um, and that's what helped me get a career. I was surrounded by the best big wave surfers in the world. Like, like Kobe Abenham was still to this day, I think, did some, has done some of the best big wave surfing I've ever personally seen. And, uh, and when I was young and he was about five years older than me, he was so disciplined and focused 
at achieving his life and getting himself out of a tough childhood situation to being a successful person in society that I just followed that lead, you know, and it was really, it was really uh, motivational for me to see that possibility. So I think that's where like that value is. But then, I mean, there was, there was within it 200 young, young blokes in any suburb, there's always going to be like an underbelly of bad uh, <clears throat> motivation, you know, and, and it, it could get swayed that way. But I think for me, that was where the value of, really wanting you know to win that eddie i cow to have that successful surfing career helped me make enough of the right decisions even though i made some bad ones along the way helped me made enough of the right ones to uh, stay on track you know so the the story you tell about ship stones is a cracking one because that that pretty much changed that pretty much turned you into a big wave surfer didn't it the, the first time you went to ship stones yeah that was back um, in 2001 and at the time i was working in bars in Tokyo P, you know, making coffees and, and making cocktails. And at that time I just left school and I wasn't, I didn't have the kind of sponsorships where I, I could already have a career from surfing. I wasn't really earning any money from the sport. And so I had to work and uh, I was kind of come, it was coming to a head where I was like, well, I'm going to have to go and, and study or figure out something else I can do for a career. Cause I'm not particularly successful at surfing at the moment. And, um, I was working in the bar one day down in Sokipi and I just like a call out of the blue from the editor of Track Surfing magazine. And uh, they said, um, oh, we've got this, uh, we, we want you to come along and surf this, this big wave down in Tasmania that breaks off the bottom of Tasmania. And at the time, there'd been a rumour going around the surf industry of this monster wave that broke off the bottom of Tasmania. It was the, the local abalone divers and fishermen had kind of gone out in their boats and stumbled across what they were calling these huge holes in the ocean. And they'd come back in from their fishing trips and stuff and tell the stories at the local pubs about massive holes that they could see in the ocean. And like the surfers are at the local pubs overhearing the stories. Their understanding is that they're talking about huge barreling waves. So it's like this mythical rumor floating around the surf industry about this monster wave off Tasmania. So, for so I'll, I'll, like, I'll pop a photo up there. This this wave is a beast. It's got a big step in the middle. It's a massive slab, and you know it's it's a scary beast. And to have got, go out and be one of the surfers first to surf that must have just you had, must have had your heart in your mouth the whole time. Would have been I, I mean, at the time I was when I got the call from the editor of Surf Amazing, he was like, "We really want you to come along and surf this." this massive wave. It was the first time I'd like I'd ever been invited on a surf magazine photo trip. And uh, you like, weren't their first choice either, if I remember <laughs> rightly. Like, what, why is he calling me? And then I figure out, you know, like down the track that he already invited so many other surfers, but everyone's like, nah, I'm not going down to surf that wave. And at the time I didn't want it either. <laughs> I had never really surfed at that point in time. And um, I was just like, well, I'm never going to get, that invitation ever again. I uh, I went down there and surfed, and and we ended up surfing like some of the biggest waves, biggest barreling waves in the history of the sport. And and they, that was the first time that it had been photographed. And then those photographs went all around the world, magazines, newspapers, everywhere. And off the back of that, I got my first sponsorship. 
And off the back of that, it was like in everyone else's head, it was like, oh, that's Mark Matthews. He's that big wave surfer, you know? Like, whereas, like, in my head, I was like, I was never a big wave surfer at all. Like, I just didn't done it once. But I was just like, well, if everyone thinks I'm a big wave surfer, I may as well just run with it. Like yeah, but now I got the sponsorship, and then I had the formula now of how to make a career from surfing, and that was go out and find the biggest waves in the world, surf them, document it, get the exposure, and from the exposure, you get the sponsorships. And that's what I do for 10 years. It's like that's how I, for me, someone who's not that talented a surfer, not good enough to compete on the, the world championship tour, that was my avenue of, of making a career from surfing, and then. Throughout the process, I just eventually, like, as I got more skilled and the fear, like the crazy fear and anxiety sort of diminished a bit, then I started to fall in love with doing it. It was like the most addictive thing I'd ever come across. I just wanted to uh, to do it all the time, you know, like there was nothing in my life that compared to the feeling of, of successfully riding a massive barreling wave. So uh, I you did my passion. <laughs> you do quite a little bit with the first few times you got up on stage as well, and uh, yeah, the biology of that is is similar. One, you you your flop might just be a bit embarrassing. The other one, you kind of break legs and get messed up. But yeah, which, I mean, that was a strange thing for me to learn was that I was actually more scared of public speaking when I had to do it than. Um, than surfing massive waves. Like it was more stressful for me to do that. And and whether that's due to, you know, personality traits, like I'm a highly introverted person. So that different environment for me is way scarier. And, and that's what I always say to audiences. It doesn't matter what your personal fears are and it doesn't matter how they compare to anyone else's fears. It doesn't matter whether your fear is to do with a fear of physical harm or danger or a, or a a more socialized fear of performance, a fear of failure, fear of not being good enough, fear of change, or fear of embarrassment, like you feel when you walk up on stage to talk. It, like your body responds to fear, regardless of what it is, in exactly the same way. And it just, it's that discomfort that you feel, you know, like the butterflies in your stomach, the elevated heart rate, the sweaty palms. <clears throat> That's just the reaction of fear, regardless of what the environment is that's your personal fear that you have to go out then and conquer and it's kind of that that fear that you feel initially is a survival response for whatever reason it's mapped into you that that situation is dangerous and that you might die as even as ridiculous as it is with public speaking it's like i know i'm i'm not going to die from public speaking but it's like the socialized aspect of fear has been built into my genetics over millions of years that it's still programmed into me to have that response when I walk up on stage. Like, and, and that's a, a survival mechanism over millions of years of evolution of living in ridiculously harsh environments on the plains of Africa. The only way to survive an environment that hard is to be part of a tribe. And if that tribe, for whatever reason you make a mistake, shuns you, and you get kicked out of the tribe for whatever reason, that means certain death and, yeah. and horrific death. It means like you're going to get eaten by an animal. You're going to starve to death. And so for millions of years, that's your reality. And so that uh, throughout evolution gets built, that fear gets built into your genetic code. 
and and some of us more than others you know so that's just a really heightened like aspect of fear that i have as an individual but it's the exact same things that helped me get over the fear in, in big wave surfing and fear of drowning helped me get over that fear of public speaking and the fundamental piece of that puzzle is experience like you just got to do it over and over, do it. over again and you build tools and skill sets and and through the experience you can then step into that environment and slowly but surely you become more confident and then you actually start to enjoy that scary environment and that's i think where it switches where you the fear you're feeling is is not it's not any more fear or anxiety it becomes excitement because you have the tool set and the skills to deal with it then the scary situation all of a sudden switches and it looks to you more like an exciting environment to go into and test your skills out you know? We interrupt this podcast just for a quick message from our sponsors, Body Science. Calm Stress Support is a product on a mission to help you find your calm and live life better. Six powerful herbs combine in effective therapeutic dosages designed to reduce the symptoms of stress and mild anxiety, soothe the nerves, calm the mind and support general mental well-being. This revolutionary formula is all about assisting you in finding balance again. With the revolutionary Blue Ness and Recover Bin in the blend, this functional supplement will support your physical and mental energy, recovery and cognitive function, while increasing your ability to cope with daily stress. Calm Stress Support is the new lifestyle supplement by Body Science. Formulated to be the new daily staple in your health and wellness routine that you just can't go without. Because let's face it, excitement and fear are right next to each other, aren't they? As, as emotions, you know, getting on a, yeah. on a big roller coaster or paddling into a big wave is, is, you know, the fear of that and the excitement of doing something that you really want to do are, you know, they're emotions that are very close together. Yeah, and I think the physiology of the two different the two reactions is probably super similar. Like everything that's happening in your body, the elevated heart rate is the same. You get an elevated heart rate when you get excited. You know, you get nerves, butterflies in your stomach when you're excited about something. You know, like it's, mm. it's, they're so close together. They're almost like we just labelled them as different things. Yeah, the the, the point you make too about um that sort of feeling like getting kicked out of your tribe and being ostracized. They've actually done um, experiments where they put people in fMRI machines and they've played a game and one piece of person gets left out of the game. They called it cyberball. And the part of their brain that lights up when they get left out of the game is the exact same part that lights up um, when you have pain. Yeah. So it's, it's crazy. You feel like you're dying on stage. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but so what is, what is the, the next part of um, Mark Matthews world? What, what's it going to look like? Um, it's like on the surfing front, I try not to be too specific. I, I do. I, I'm specific with what I do day to day as far as the training, the rehab, the surfing, but I'm just going to let it play out. I'm going to go and surf and stuff like that. I'm not putting a timeline on it anymore. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just going to see what happens. You know, Do you feel like that's because you don't you don't have to? You've got other sort of you know other sort of 
arrows in your quiver that you can fire now? You, you're yeah, not only yeah. Mark Matthews, a big wave surfer, you're someone that can get out and help companies and can help people overcome fear and, and sort of, you know, you're, you're a bit, as it happens when we get older, you get a bit more well-rounded. And I guess that's the thing about it, particularly when you watch your keynotes, you know, you are really, really good at it. And it's nice to be able to, it's nice to be able to sort of say, well, you know, it's really bad. I'm not going to ever surf the eddy, but it's also really good to feel that you can contribute to your tribe and you can do something that's really, really valid and do it really well and keep getting better at it, which is one of the bits I love about you is you're very curious about your thinking and, and how you can help people. Is, has that been a thing that's happened all the time or is that a new thing? Yeah, I, like, I, don't, I think I'll, I was always super curious with psychology and how to deal with fear, stress and anxiety because I was doing a sport that I was terrified of doing. And, and my only way to be more successful in that sport than the other more talented surfers was that I needed to be able to deal with the stress and manage that anxiety so I could go out and surf every big swell that broke in a year. And if I did that compared to the other surfers who would only surf one or two big swells because the stress was too much, then just by sheer force of numbers of exposure, because I'm doing it over and over and over again, that I would be more successful for them. So I just saw it as my biggest competitive advantage was always going to be the psychology behind managing stress and anxiety in order to be able to sort of sustain performance over a long period of time and like the amount of stress that I could deal with so I could build more exposure than the more talented surface. And I think that's what always made me so curious about about um, like learning and, and pushing myself because I just figured I didn't start out great, you know, like everyone else was a fair bit better than me. And But I learned over a period of time that it's like as long as you just keep getting a little bit better and better every day and down the track, you'll be more successful. You know, I didn't yeah. worry too much about what they were doing. I just needed to continually get better. And then because I saw such a sort of remarkable, for me, remarkably, remarkable difference in my ability to deal with fear and stress and my ability to surf big waves over that period of time. Like I could see, I, I could be, I experienced that transformation. Then it was like the reality for me was that, okay, I could transform like that in, in that aspect of performance maybe I can do the exact same thing in whatever other aspect of performance I want to do. And then that, that was my mindset when like, I couldn't even stand in front of a classroom and read from a book. I'd be a stuttering mess as a kid. So it was like learning to public speak was so tough. But because I'd, I'd learned from my surfing career that those things are possible, they just might take you longer and that kept me going on that, that sort of journey to learn to public speak, you know? And I think yeah, I, I have a lovely concept that's like it, it's almost embrace your inner Gumby, embrace the part of you that's really hopeless and the part of you that's really bad because that's the way you're going to get the joy from striving and working and, and working hard. And I guess you've certainly a picture of that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, like, and, and I think that, that aspect of embracing, like you say, you're in a Gumby or embracing it because like that might be the part of you that has the most room for progression you know and then 
it's in the progression where you find happiness. So it's kind yeah. of embrace the fact that you might not be that good at that thing, but then know that you've got all that room to get better in that area of life. And and the the, the really the part that stops people doing that is, is when you're just too focused on external comparison. You know, like if you always compare yourself to the best at things, that, that's going to be so deflating all the time. You know, like it's, it's way more motivating to just compare yourself to who you were yesterday. You know, like that cliche is compare yourself yeah. to who you were yesterday and just notice the progression, like week to week, month to month, and then you get motivated to keep going. In, in our connected world, I can see and, and every single day who the best speakers are. And if I'm looking at them all the time, just going, oh, I suck compared to them, you know, then I'm never going to go down that pathway. So it's kind of it's good to shut off from all that external comparison and just like periods of time focus on your own internal comparison of, and notice your progression. Yeah. No. Do you, how do you go now without that 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 sort of focal point of the EDIK hour is something that was that that gave you the motivation to look after your health, that gave you the motivation to look after your finances so you could get to all the events, that gave you the motivation to sort of look after your tribe and, and be part of that tribe. How do you go now without that one overriding? I'd be lying if I said it was completely gone because you never know what's going to happen. In the no, future. that's good. That's like, good. I'd be lying if I said it's completely gone. It's just like in the back. Or sort Sorry, of. mate. I'm being very presumptuous there. That was, <laughs> like, do not sell this man short. Probably it's a lot less likely than it was when I was 20 years old, but you never know. But, but to answer your question, it's just like that was the framework that I existed in. It was like, here I am. Here's where I am. Here's where I want to go. And I'm going to just go on that journey, you know? And, and now that, if that in framework's not, the primary focus of my life it's just then i set a new framework and the new framework is is public speaking and and conference speaking and being a motivational speaker and bringing about some inspiration and motivation in people's lives by doing that and then the bonus for me is creating a career from that and earning a living that provides for my family and and it, like it just becomes exponentially more motivating, I think, when you have kids and you attach your loved ones to that goal. Because now I work as hard at public speaking as I ever did at trying to win the Eddie. And it's and it, like as surfing is unbelievably fun, of course, and making a career out of it's unbelievably fun. But to me, the public speaking is as rewarding as surfing was. You know? like it's still because I have you make a difference in people's lives too. So. Yeah, I have this massive room for progression in this area of my life and it's just so rewarding to go from being absolutely terrible at something to slowly getting better and better and better and better to the point where like, I fly around the world now, I've spoken in almost every country to every different culture of people all around the world, telling them surfing stories and I get the same great feedback from random people all the way over the world that it was such an inspiring message and it just blows me away every time that happens so it's just as rewarding for me as surfing if not maybe a little bit more nice well the the fact that surfing there's an element of selfishness to surfing is that it's it is 
you that's doing it like there's tribes and all of that sort of stuff but it's it's you that's taking off on the wave and one of the things about public speaking is i really love is that you you do get to make connections with other people and you get to make them look at things a little bit differently and you're actually changing someone else's life which is that pride from contribution which is a really important thing as well yeah definitely um the way my surfing crew played out and, and i think in big wave surfing mostly it is fairly team orientated even though you like the team's constantly changing and i'm working with different filmers photographers water safety crew and managers and publicists but the, the part in that that to your point of what's nice about speaking is like when we go on, a, on an individual surfing trip or, or project to create content surfing huge waves it's like all the people in my team have their own specific career but it's like we all share in the common goal of what we're doing on this individual trip and then how does being successful on this individual surf trip like surfing a big wave over in western australia and then we all share in that success of that relates to our individual careers which will be totally different in this way like and then other ones like so you still get that that team bonding over like even though i'm the one riding the wave and maybe my, my towing partner as well. But then even the photographer's as excited as I am when I get a good wave because he just got the best photo he's ever taken, which takes him down this path of his career. That's kind Yeah, of, okay. There is a tribe there. There is a pretty, like, yeah, more than what people think because surfing like, does seem from a distance of really individual sport, but I think it's more of a team sport than, than people think. And, and the exact, to me, it's the exact same thing in public speaking. It's like all the different players in the speaking world and delivering an amazing conference to an audience. All those players, and you will know this, that they, they all have that elation at the end of the event when you've delivered a good product. Like even when it's, it's the event manager who's booking the hotel and creating the experience from that end. And if it's the AV team who's like stressed beyond belief when they're, the big production's on and they're trying to keep everything technical happening and then when you go up on stage and then when the audience gives great feedback, it's like everyone in that little world shares, like, shares yeah. the excitement. So it's, yeah, it's That's super cool. Definitely an extra elements of motivation when we get to share in that type of stuff. So the last question we always ask on the Reset podcast is the, is the finding Carlos question. And Carlos is the better version of me. I'm not always as good as Carlos, but I always do try. It's a bit like your, your idiots, you know, I aspire to be Carlos. Um, what does the better version of you look like? What are, what are a couple of characteristics of the better version of Mark Matthews when you're at your best? Oh, man, I'm so good at like, I could just flip it around because I, I have that type of brain that just, hates i see all the negatives of myself so <laughs> if i flip it around like the better version way more driven than me and uh the better version's way less of a perfectionist so he actually gets things done puts more content out there um i think would be a little less concerned with with feedback coming in i, I, I mean right. we talked about this before it's like when you're a perfectionist and you're so nervous about what people are going to think of whatever you're doing, that it can be such a handbrake on your life because no matter what, it's because the audience and people are so diverse 
you can never create something that has an, a positive effect on everyone. Like it's something that could have such an amazing effect on one person could just be seen as absolutely garbage by another person. Yeah. And I mean, the better version of me just doesn't give a flying fuck about <laughs> the, 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 the comments because they, that better version of me just focuses on the good ones. You know? like that's, right. I think, the thing that I need to do more. Okay. Well, I guess from looking at everything in your career so far, everything you've done is striving towards being a better version of you your entire life. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the next 10, 20, 30 years has for you. But Mark Matthews, thank you for coming on the Reset Podcast. Thanks for having me. Cheers, buddy.